about what we're going to do. So I guess what well, one I've got here is reams and the, reams of notes. There is a there's a poem. There are uh, my folk horror fun facts, and they are fun. Provided they're factual, John. They are factual. Good. That most of this is factual. Good. A list of the folk horror films within my library. Um, and then apart from that, we'll just talk about the witch. Yeah, yeah. The witches. And just their, just their interest in folk horror. Generally. Uh, uh, well, or lack of interest in folk horror. Or lack thereof, yes, uh, indeed. I've gone off it slightly. Yeah, me too, actually. So, uh, and we can talk about why. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of vogue for a while. Um, also, you know, we can probably talk about folk horror music and how it doesn't seem to have any effect... And I, I, on the, the head parade? No, or, or <laughs> on, I, I don't like the music that you're supposed to like about. I don't like all that ghost box stuff. Yeah, I don't yeah. like. The only thing I like is Richard Dawson. I like some Alistair Roberts. Yeah, I like some of that, but again, it always veers off into Seth Lakeman, Mumford and Sons territory. You, a bit, need, you, know? you really need to watch that, yeah. You do? Yeah, gotta yeah. be careful because before you know it, you're enjoying a lute solo. Yeah, and you're at the Cambridge Folk Festival. Before you know what you're at the court exchange. Slapping your thighs <laughs> in time to a crumb horn. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, shall we start with an introduction? How are we going to introduce that this? That was the preamble. That's not the preamble. We don't do the preamble. That's a cut. Okay. That's not that's not worthy of us. I've, I've is heard. It? That's, that's as good as I, I think it's actually recording, by the way. It's totally recording. Okay, cool. I, I think it's as, as good as anything we've done. Um, <laughs> okay, start. Okay, start. Good evening. Good evening. Hello, John. Hi, Joe. Um, welcome to Stalemates. The mates that are stale. Yeah. And that, and that kind of wording is Well, kind I of... think that is particularly apt here. So we yeah. haven't done this again for a while. I think the last one we introduced as being, uh, we were rusty and we didn't know what we were doing because we hadn't done it for so long. And this time, we're even rustier. Guess what? Yes. Oh, <laughs> completely forgotten what we're doing. Yeah. Our so... blades are not remotely wetted. No. We haven't, we haven't, uh, we haven't stropped anything. Really nothing not. stroppy about us, Joe. I think you can say that safely. No, no, we haven't got the energy these days. Um, have you ever used a wet stone? I've, I've, I've applied stone to, to blades before. Have you really? Yeah. Right. In my mum's kitchen. Who else? Where else? Um, I'll tell you the thing, Joe. When I was growing up, I had two prized possessions. Because um, we didn't have much, as you know. We've discussed this. Uh, my my poor childhood. Lumps of coal um, for Christmas, I know. Well, I had a lump of flint and a single dart. Yeah. I had no dartboard, but one of my favourite things was to throw the dart at a wardrobe. Um, <laughs> so but the lump of flint was there. One time, I hit the flint. Yes. It made a spark. Sparks flew. The wardrobe caught fire. I ran out the room. I ran back in the room. I quickly put out the fire because it didn't really take. It wasn't, it wasn't. Are you telling it, me that it you? It was PDF. Tell me you almost started uh, a house fire, a domestic fire, with a lump of flint. Yeah, I, I, I nearly burnt the house That's down. That's actually almost impressive. With a hobby, um, which was uh, one, of, one of your two hobbies. One of the most reductive hobbies anyone's ever had: throwing a dart at a wall. Yeah. You're breaking um, my heart and my credulity at the same time. Oh, that's like a bros story. Don't they have a story that's a bit like that? <laughs> 
But um, I was their first boss. Back off. Setting fire to a house. I think, the, the, but but there's always end with someone trying to cut a tree down with a butter knife. I never pierced a twin no. or anything like that. You were more the incineratory kind of yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. route of removing those trees. Okay. Anyway, so, John, that's, so, a, that's an early preamble there. That's it, it, nice. My God, we got in early. Yeah, we did. Um, we so still Joe, got what it. What are we talking about today? Well, John, um, as previously agreed before we embarked on tonight's uh, escapade, we're talking about folk horror. Oh uh, yeah, I remember that. You remember that? Yeah, that was a that was a thing for a while. It was apparently it was quite voguish. It was very voguish. Like, I think you and I were even a member of a folk horror club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that was two years ago. Things were different. Draw a discreet veil mm. over the whole thing. That was before Brexit got real. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a weird correlation between Brexit and folk horror. Mm. I think there's that strange coziness of the past that people want to retreat back into. The yearning for a simpler time yeah, that yeah, didn't absolutely. really exist. And, like a supernatural you know, Morrissey. But also the weird uh, conspiracy theories that go along with that, the sort of bubbling morbidities that lurk beneath the surface. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. Lot, that's a lot like Brexit as well. That's a lot like the causes of it. Like a satanic midsummer murders. Yeah, which, of course, there are several of those. <laughs> they, they are, um, they're, they're actually the best episodes. But they, well, everything always is with a bit of magic thrown So in. why are we talking about folk horror, John? Why did we decide to embark on it? Is it something that we, I think we initially assume that we love? But on closer inspection, we're not so certain anymore. I think it's something we assumed we knew a lot about, so we wouldn't have to do an awful lot of research. Mm. And then I had to sit down today and try and think of things to, to, to do. And it's actually was, it was surprisingly hard work. Yeah. Because it's really, it's a very expansive area. You could talk about um, folk horror music, folk horror art. Yeah. Folk horror, there is folk horror poetry now. But, I mean, there's literature but it's mainly films. That's what people are mainly interested, I think, in terms of folk horror. Uh, and that's certainly my focus when yeah. I think about a it. A word of the moniker, folk horror seems to have, obviously, it's, it's, it's a thing that's applied to a set of things that have a certain uncanny, supernatural, rural uh, edifice about them. Artifice about them, even. You fool. Oh, you I've fool. Got, I've got what you've done, no, what you've done is you've waded straight into one of my folk horror fun facts. I've waited in with my bloomers on. Yeah, I think so, because I think you said that. Where did this come from? Well, I'll tell you where. Excellent. Uh, Mark Gatiss is credited with the invention of the firm to Folk Horror in his TV programme, A History of Horror, in 2010. But it was used by director Piers Haggard in an interview for Fangoria magazine um, <clears throat> seven years earlier. Uh, Haggard directed one of the key folk horror films, Blood on Satan's Claw, mm -hmm. and his daughter Daisy Haggard appeared in Psychoville <coughs> with Gatiss's League of Gentlemen colleagues, Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton. She also appeared in two episodes of Doctor Who, but not the ones Gatiss wrote, which is fucking typical. Because it would have been so neat, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it, though? I could have tied it all up in a bow. And the problem with her appearances in Doctor Who were that she played the girlfriend well, of James with Gordon. Co twinned with Corden. Twinned with Corden. Actually, There's a yeah. small town outside Normandy that's twinned <laughs> with Corden as well. They aren't happy either. I'd rather be twinned with Croydon, I think. I think I would. Mm. I think I am. But that's so, another story. That's actually not uh, even necessarily true. But I think because there are references to in, in about 1932 to things being uh, yeah. folk horror. But... In terms of what we're talking about, yeah. that is. The but even with, even within that fact, uh, your the the Mark Gittes fact is immediately undermined by the further fact that Pierce Haggard referenced it seven years before. Yeah, I think so. so. I think Pierce Haggard, for our purposes and for all intents and purposes, are we going to give that one to him? 
Yeah, I'm giving that to Piers Haggard. You can have it. And he did make a very good example of the genre. Piers Haggard is, of course, the great-grandson of H. Ryder Haggard. Indeed he is. Um, and I was going through all the books that H. Ryder Haggard wrote, just to tie it in again, because I'd lost the Daisy Haggard thing. That wasn't working for me. Yeah, yeah. Just to get something like Minimum she, purchase, yeah. Or, you know, King Solomon's Mines or any of those. Nothing. You couldn't have anything. That's, Zilch? That's, no, not really. Although I did read that somebody called him a genius of racism um, <laughs> at some point. Which, that's quite the Laurel Reese. Is that when you're really good at racism or is that when your racism is ingenious? No, I think it's when he's really, really good. I mean, nobody belittled African nations like yeah. Hitch Rider Haggard. He really went for it. I have an interesting uh, fact about Hitch Rider Haggard. I used to think it was, don't laugh, it was called King Sullivan's Mines right. for years because I only ever heard it. I never, I never saw it written down. So, and also Sullivan was a common name around my way. I that was so. King Sullivan's Mines. I have a less interesting fact. I once... <laughs> uh, I'd love to hear it. I know. Can you imagine? <laughs> plumbing the depths. Um, I used to write a blog under the name of H. Writer Haggard. Oh. Because I'm called John Higgins, you see. Yeah. So sparkling. H writer, comma, Haggard. Sparkling and self-deprecating. Yeah, yeah. That's the way I do it. It's your stock and trade. You know. He's given his wit, but he's also dis destroyed himself yeah. by he's, his own hand. He's charmingly upending himself before you come. Yeah, never works over here. <laughs> I've been trying to do deprecating for a long time. People would just go, oh, while you're down there, I'll just give you a kicking. Yeah. For the record, John did say deprecating. Yeah. <laughs> Which brings us to the film. Um, <laughs> no, we'll move on to the film. What should we talk about first? Well, um, you give us, you furnished us with an interesting fact that was actually... Well, we, we're not even sure, but we're giving it to, to Haggard in this, in this case. Oh, yeah, Haggard's got it. I'm okay. giving it to Haggard. So we watched a film just earlier on, not, not half an hour ago. We finished watching this film. Yeah. We were bickering, not bickering, we were discussing robustly about which film we might want to watch uh, the best exemplifies or best, is a, is a great example of the folk horror genre. John, John has a weighty canon, let me tell you. <laughs> From his weighty canon, we, it's, we discussed... It's been said. We discussed various titles, and the title that came up was... Well, you say it's the best. I mean, we we picked the witches. What we plumped not, for? Not, not the Ronald Dahl one, the nineteen sixty six. Not the obvious thing. one. <laughs> not the, not the one. Well, that's not really folk horror, is it? I suppose it could be. Yeah, I guess so. I suppose it is. It's got it has an element. It. It's got witchcraft. It's got you know, small small petty fears magnified onto a supernatural mm. stage. Yeah. But we didn't go for that one. We went yeah. for the nineteen sixty six small English village. Um, is invaded by witches. No, John. Hammer film. Incorrect. It's not a, the witches were always there. It's invaded by a white Hollywood star that comes to the village to be a teacher. Well, Joe, not even that, because by the end of the film, I don't want to do spoilers, but by the end of the film, we find that pretty much all the witchcraft, all the witchcraftery is based in one person. Yeah. And everybody wakes up as twer as as though it were a dream yeah and the, the, the acting is remarkable it's like Peter Burke's school of theatrical expression they're like what? well let's not skip to the end we've got to get through the entire plot indeed first. but I think we might have jumped a few furlongs we ahead we have done that um, we are rusty at this you're right <laughs> no we're good we're good we're good let's not go for, let's not go for the film first that's a teaser okay okay um, let me give you a fun fact about folk horror oh do and then we can talk uh, about here's to the health of the barley mow which we also watched earlier that was bizarre that was quite bizarre Right, here's uh, one of my fun facts. What? Oh, it really isn't that fun. Um, okay, so we've talked already about blood on Satan's claw. 
the scene in Blood and Satan's Claw where the skin was cut off Margaret was inspired by an incident from screenwriter Robert Wynne Simmons' childhood where a doctor performed an operation on him on his kitchen table. It's a painful place to have an operation. Mm. Well, I can do worse places to have an operation. So it's semi-autobiographical. Uh, that bit is <laughs> the bit about Satan. I think there are the bits. No, there are the bits in the film. He had a dream about uh, somebody chopping his hand off, and of course that does happen as well. Um, yeah, it's an interesting film. I mean, let's talk about the, the key texts. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think I think, I think it's a good, good place to start, and also the the, the the texts that may not be as key as we thought they were. Yeah. Oh, I see. You, yeah. See where I'm going here? Yeah. Yes. Well, there's the big three. So it's the Wicker Man, it's Blood and Saints Claw. And it's uh, Witchfinder General. It's the Billy Bollock on Holy Trinity. Yeah. Or is it? Well, now, I don't think that Witchfinder General is proper folk horror. We had this, we had this chat earlier. You, you, in fact, said it's more like a Norfolk Western. It is. It's like a big... It's like, it's like a nasty... A neo, not any Morricone. Um, who's, who's, the, who's the spaghetti Western guy? Uh, Sergio Leone. There you go, Sergio. It's like a Sergio Leone on lush past. Ennio was never too far behind, to be fair. Yeah, he was hanging around back from making sort yeah. of uh, Playing unusual with noises. rubber bands and yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. cardboard boxes and whatnot. Um, and it is that. It's like a Civil War Western with, it, like, with a nasty man in it. Yeah, it works better. It works better because it's really a story about a man in a position of power who exploits that for his own nefarious purposes. There's nothing supernatural about it. And if you see it through that prism, it's a much more enjoyable film. I always find it troubling as a folk horror film because, it, as you say, it doesn't have a supernatural element. Really? And that, and that makes fact, slightly... the, whole, the whole point of the film is that there's no supernatural yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff going on it, at all. It is literally an ambitious man destroying women for his own end. Yeah, and I think too many Channel 4 talking heads have drummed into us over the years that this is folk horror and really people haven't stopped to think. But it's unfortunate because it's a really nebulous term. So the fact that it has this, whatever, uh, is it 15th century? Whatever century setting I think you'll find 16th century. 17th century. 17, I said that. Um, <laughs> didn't say that. Uh, has a 17th century setting. It's got this lush pasture and these large, wide open fields. And, you know, it's got all this uh, chocolate box Englishness in it. And then you've got a, a morbid horror happening at the same time. Mm. That's the folk horriness of yeah, this. But for me, that doesn't really work, isn't it? There's a sense of unease in the cinematography, the beauty of it and the unsettling aspect of it. It's almost too beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, again, the, the only horrifying thing is, is, uh, is hench Vincent Price's henchman is like the kind of the only vaguely monstrous thing in it. Or in fact, no, the biggest monster of all is Vincent Price. Well, that's true. Of course, Michael Reeve, who was the director of the film, famously did not get on with That's right. yeah, and actually wanted Donald Pleasance to play him which you can sort of see because he's probably better cast that would have worked that would yeah. have worked Vincent is always camp yeah. but, but he's not camp in this but he's actually a damn good actor yeah. people yeah. forget this about he's, but he's pretty terrifying in this. he's cold he's detached he's remorseless he's, he's, he is actually quite terrifying Yeah. but it, it, it's almost like a, a kind of Cromwellian uh, Terminator yeah if, if I may say so if I may be, may be so bold of hunting down a, a series of fleeing Sarah yeah. Connors and a reacting Ian Ogilvy and I, God knows we all love a reacting Ian Ogilvy yeah and that ending is particularly terrifying and brutal it does seem that everybody ends up in madness and covered in blood and everything is a disaster it's a very nihilistic film but it starts out nihilistic because you've got that famous opening scene where just an old woman 
is pushed face first onto a bonfire and all the people are just standing around like sort of numbed sheep just yeah. in a field um it's it's very i find it quite hard to watch i find it very brutal it's quite joyless as well there, yeah. there, there is no lightness to it at all it's very beautiful but it's stark it's it's relentless i could weirdly enough the, the, the two films have nothing else in common but it kind of i had the same feeling when i came out of children of men right the, the grimness was relentless you just begging for it to, to stop you wanted so, you wanted a space or a, a, a you know a point of light relief but there was none and the Witchfinder General is very similar Reeves is a very interesting director in that he puts you know people like Ian Ogilvy in a film and he puts the reacting Ian Ogilvy into a film yeah and you expect certain things from him and he deliberately doesn't give you those things he subverts your expectations you know? Joe well Vicky Henson's in that film as well is he? yeah and, and none of them Really behave in the Where's way. Where's the bloody witch? It. Exactly. It's <laughs> it's 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 quite interesting, but I don't really like it as a film. So did Nicky Hansen uh, take his medallion off for that role? Because I think it would have been quite an accurate. Yeah, no, not a medallion required <laughs> on this particular occasion. Or, or biker helmet. <laughs> He's wearing a helmet. He is period specific, Nicky. You know, I will give him that about his acting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, his the apotheosis. I can't even say apotheosis. It. Apotheosis, apotheosis of his career was Forty Towers episode. You know, or that's that's, that's Nicky. That's or what, what about the Psycho Demon Biker film? Psychomania. Psychomania. That's folk horror. Oh that my is, god, that is folk. Oh horror. no, no, no. We've stumbled onto a, a wooded copse. I wasn't expecting to stray into. Do you think that's folk horror? It definitely is. Why wouldn't it be? Think about the premise, right? Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think about, think, about, think about the premise give me two seconds to gather my thoughts right so what happens is um, there's the mystery between Beryl Reed and Nikki Henson who's his mother they dance around the house she's a witch yeah. worships some sort of frog god his dad's been dead for some time there's a medallion there's a mysterious butler yeah. he goes into a room there's a weird dreamlike scenario yeah. he learns the power of life after death he kills himself, he comes back from the dead, they dance around a druidic circle, in the end, they turn into a stone circle. It could not be more folk horror. And that was the pitch that got a green lit. That was the pitch that got no <laughs> yeah. money at all. Um, yeah. Here we are. They got Reed, horribly underfunded. Beryl Reed and, Nick, and Nicky Henson have an uncanny compact. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> Take my money. Um... <laughs> Yeah, the frog god is your heart. There is a froggy uh, vibe to the film, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, as a, uh, yeah. And actually, do you want to? I think you've convinced me. It is folk horror. It is folk horror. Does it pass the Gators test? Um, I don't know. He's not here. I don't know what the Gators test is. Let's not invoke Gators. <laughs> he might turn up. <laughs> Say his name three I, times. I brought a pennywig from home. Um, My God, he's in the room. Yeah, exactly. Hello. <laughs> Mark Gators here. Hello. I'm turning another classic. <laughs> BAFTA nominated Mark Gators. Oh, Pemberton's up for a BAFTA. Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reese isn't. You and I both agree that Pemberton might be the, the finest actor out of the League of Gentlemen. I think we do agree that. He's right up there with Jeremy Dyson in that, in that respect. I think he's been nominated for um, Bernie Clifton's dressing room. Really? Yeah. But what about his acting? Very good. <laughs> um, where's Reese? I think that's Reese's show. I think Re Reese really underplays it. And does really well. Reese is the one. Reese is the anchor in that show. Yeah, he's the kind of jaded, disgruntled, you know, world weary. He play, plays it beautifully. You know, yeah, man, he's been doing. You know, because he's the straight man. Yeah. you don't see the fireworks and the other stuff, but he's really pushing and making it happen and really making it work. I think Reese is robbed. And on record, Reese, 
If you're listening, we think you're robbed. Rob, Reese, if you're listening, give us a call, mate. Call Speed you. dial. Do me. I've never ever told you about the time I thought I was about to interview Reese Shearsmith. Yeah. By telephone. And I was told I was interviewing Reese Shearsmith, and it turned out to be Steve Pemberton. It took me 30 seconds to readjust and uh, change my in- interview technique for the Pemberton. I quite like the way you'd have a different inter- interview technique for anyone. Like Dyson rocked up. Completely different kind oh, of Oh, well, of course, of course. You expect... Sh- You're like sh- that. You've you, got nuance. You expect Shearsmith to be problematic. You've got to be on top of your game. Mm. But Pemberton, it's an amiable ramble through through the back pages I, of his I career. I like you think that because you think Reese is the angry one. I, 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 he's the one I'd be slightly scared of. Yeah, he is the angry one, isn't he? He's the one who said, oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. So, uh, obviously with a better <laughs> accent than that, but uh, <laughs> anyone who says that kind of stuff, I'm... I'm You're always worried. pissed! <laughs> he's touchy, he's petulant. Is. Possibly vindictive. I know he's the good-looking one of the group. He gets all the fans. You'd think he'd be a happy man. But, you know... That's not enough. There's Pembers just soaking up the bath. Well, Pembers is just a natural actor. Oh, he's a... You know, he's the only one, when he dresses as a woman, he is a woman. Yeah, the even though he's clearly all, not... That's a real grotesque drag act. But he's also... He's just a woman. But he's also clearly not, but he is also very, very womanly mm. in his own way. But uh, we've, we've gone slightly off uh, kilter there. No, that would not be like us. Um, Mind we are rusty. Going back to talking about um, Witchfinder General. Yeah. I think there is a version, sort of a, a weird answer film to Witchfinder General called Cry of the Banshee. There is. Which is um, sort of similar, but also has witchcraft in it and actually blames... It sort of it actually blames the witches for being bad. So witches and it's a bad. So the women are to blame. Yeah, you, you also it, it know it's one of the most relentlessly misogynistic and difficult films to ever watch. There is us have really good Terry Gilliam animated opening title. There is a connection because uh, Michael Reeve was uh, penciled in to direct that film. Yeah. Then he went and got himself killed. So yeah. it, it was a project that he wanted to work on. Yeah. So it's interesting that you should say that that is a parallel or a companion piece to it. Um. No, I mean, it has many fine qualities, but it is relentlessly... I mean, everyone who turns up in this film gets her tits out and gets killed. Pretty much. Say la vie, John. Apart from the main witch herself, Una. Um, oh, of course who, she's called Una. Why wouldn't she? A bit of anti-Irish sentiment. Um, I, don't, I don't think they even realised that it was an Irish name. I think it just sounds... Una! It just sounds like grunting. But, but, but the Banshee is an Irish uh, mythological creature, yeah. isn't it? All right. Yeah, that does make sense. Oh, All right, oh, right, that does tie together. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fuck um, me, it's a banshee. <laughs> I've got a I've got a fun folk fact Come with uh, about uh, director Michael Reed. Everyone knows it. To be fair, these aren't my best fun facts, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. No, but I, but it's, it's the way you deliver it and coupled with the fact that, you know, our wider audience, which is all three of you, may not have heard this. Hi, guys. Thanks for being with us. Good to see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when director Michael Reeves uh, made a suggestion to Vincent Price on the set of Witchfinder General... Price responded, I've made 87 movies. What have you done? And Reeves responded, I've made three good ones. Oh! Wow! Burn! Now, he hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he met the one where Boris Karloff and his, and his wife... Yeah, the sorceress. That's his good mind film. controllers. That's his good film. Of a reacting in Ogilvy. The other one he was talking to, I've recently watched, it was called The She-Beast. <laughs> And I didn't know about that. It's one of the worst pieces of shit I've ever Who's seen in my it? Life. What's it about? Give me, give me the tea. It's got oh, what's her name? Barbara. Da, 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 da. Bel Geddes? No, not Barbara. If Bell. only. If only. Oh, 
Um, one of the Ewings would have just lifted the piece. Anyone? Um, oh, God. Famous uh, uh, horror actress that worked in Italy. Oh, oh, oh God. Yes. That's annoying me. Anyway, she's in it. It's, it's some sort of... It's some sort of co-production it, with with Spain or something, and it's also with all of Spain a, a weird satire <laughs> on communism, and it does all these things, clamps them all together okay. in this ungainly mess that has no plot and doesn't really do anything at all, but has an awful lot of um, stock characters acting drunk in bedsits. There's and, also, and it has ideas clearly to, to burn. It's uh, and it's a sixties film. So, Barbara Steele. Yeah, Barbara Steele. Yeah, that's it. 60s films, so people are just sort of randomly raped and things like this. This happens all the time. <laughs> Ergo. Yeah. So, no, he hadn't. He'd made one good film by this point. But he was sassy enough. And then enough. he made a second one and then he died. Yeah, but he was sassy enough to, to, to front up to, to Vincent Price. It's a good line. Yeah. Um, although... The best lines to t- generally tend not to be true. <laughs> is that your career in a nutshell? That's, pre- that's pretty much... <laughs> that is the pre of my life, Joe. That's, that's entirely my uh, resume. Put that on my gravestone, yeah. if you don't mind. None of these, none of it was true. I was never here. None of it was strictly true. Yeah. <laughs> it's loosely true. Well, based on all loose facts, you know, those films that start with based on all loose assumption. I can, uh, you see, as soon as I see, I will say it's the wording, based on true facts. It totally turns me thing. off, yeah, yeah. What's true facts? And also, as if that's a selling point, based <laughs> on a true story, now you've got me. Yeah, we now live in a world where you <laughs> yeah. have to qualify the notion that a yeah, fact yeah. is true. But it's like a hook to, to, to draw us in. Yeah. Frankly. Based on unfake news. Yeah, so I've heard... So someone told me a story about what, they, what 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 happened to them, and they've written it up as a film. I'm not interested in that. I want a storytelling. I want I want someone to lie to me. Yeah, make something up, you lazy prick. Yeah, witches aren't real, yeah. or are they? <laughs> oh, 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 Kelly. Oh, that. Oh. For the listeners, the light that, didn't that, just flicker there. My skin's crawling. <laughs> that's because you haven't turned the heat on your tight bars. Well, that's um, Right, so we should probably talk about the other two in the big three then. Go on. So it's Blood and Saint Claude is the next one. Or, or to give it its acronym, B O S C. Okay. B O S C. I think in America, oh, it's it's just in America, it was the blood on Satan's claw. Or just B S C because you 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 remove the you know the odds and the those don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a B S C. Well, let's not get bogged down. Bronze swimming certificate. Um, what do you think of that film? Um, interesting. It's one of these films that uh, I think we watched it as part of the folk horror club that we were once in. I don't think we did. I'm pretty sure. I, think I remember there's a pretty good reason why we did. I remember there was there was a loud uh, friend of ours that bellowed most of the way through it, and I missed most of the key plot plot points of that, the film. That was every single one of those meetings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, but it's an interesting <laughs> potpourri of ideas. It, it has all the right ingredients. Potpourri. Potpourri. Yeah. What vile potpourri is this? Well, quite the opposite. You yeah. Know? Um, to his Catholic Majesty, <laughs> King James II, may live long in exile, Patrick. Wine, uh, Patrick Weinmark. <laughs> <laughs> That's a local joke for Belfast fans. Um, it's a beautifully made film. Patrick it, Weinmark, yeah. Patrick Weinmark's a beautifully made man. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't that book. He, he, he really died was. soon after. It's. A, it, it, I think it's actually the most. It's the exemplar of the genre, really. Mm. If we're really digging in, I know people talk about the Wicker Man. Wicker Man has elements of that. Has elements of kind of, of kind of true kind of folk practices from you know various regional parts of yeah of the UK. But this film. Has a consistent thread of the uncanny. It does what the Witchfinder General fails to achieve, I think, in that it has a genuine supernatural threat. But the characters are so vivid in their own right that 
the supernatural hotel is almost secondary, but it is there. It's it's an it's an uncomfortable background hum, background radiation, if you will. I see it as a sort of weird because originally it was meant to be like a, a portmanteau film. Originally it was meant you can tell that actually. Yeah, it was originally set in the, the Victorian era, and I think they got bored of doing Victorian stuff, so they whopped it back. And I think you can sort of tell it's three films or three different stories because they don't quite add up. There's a slight clunking change of gear and also there's a bit where like the, the main guy Patrick yeah. Weimar's character uh, doesn't appear for the, for well, the well, middle of the film well, that's it. goes, it's almost like that's the start of a second story yeah but, they, this... but he, he does this weird thing where he goes I must allow the evil to fester <laughs> yeah. and then fucks off um, and, and it, comes back at the end with a big sword yeah. and a <laughs> King Charles wig and a, and a paunch yeah. to kind of uh, the, 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 the blocks out most of the screen it's great. There's a brilliant. It's beautifully lit. It looks really good. There's a brilliant bit where him and the, and the host of the house are sitting around drinking heavily, and it's nicely lit by candlelight. And he's got his wig off, and he genuinely <laughs> looks fucking dangerous. Like he might really go for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got. It does have that sort of. So to his Catholic Majesty King yeah. James the First, may live long in exile, and he flings the glass yeah, into yeah. the fireplace. But he does look. He does look as he might upturn the table. He's like, up. "Come on, then." He's removed the gentility of the yeah, ridiculous yeah, yeah. wig. Fuck yeah. that! You know, what I mean? <laughs> who wants some? And he's got that yeah, close-cropped yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Think about those times. It's always shocking. Those times, the gentlemen wore these stupid things. They took it off, and they, they and they all look like kind of um, Tim Roth underneath. They have Tim Roth hair. Well, they all look like sort of you know, <laughs> uh, like they'd be on a Brexit march. That's yeah. what they look like. They look like sort of the, the, the bulldog breed. I must be friendly going to Brexit march with King Charles wings. Absolutely. Why I would love that. A, I, great. I would, that's a Brexit march I can get behind. <laughs> <laughs> and a buckled shoe. You know how I favour a buckled shoe. Well, you do actually. You, you, you sort of you're a man out of time. Yeah. You look great in a, in a periwig. I th- I th- thank you very much. Maybe yes. with a beauty spot there. Yeah, I, I've, I've been trying to grow one for for years, but it, it, it keeps wandering around my face. I can see you with a metal nose. <laughs> yeah, you have to take yeah, it when your syphilis gets too much. Yeah, 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 yeah. From, from the aesthetically beautiful to the monstrous. Thank you. Well, John. you say, what's wrong with Robo nose? Imagine it, you, imagine you swimming. You cut through the water. Oh yeah, like yeah, a, or you might sink like a clipper, like a clipper. Yeah, exactly. Full of tea. The cutty snark. <laughs> Very good. Good God, who says we're rusty? You're practically <sighs> on fire. You can hear the hinges coming off. I can see that lump of flint in my hands. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think you're right. Of, of the, well, obviously, there was a period in my life where I watched The Wicker Man every day. You know, Naturally. That, that did happen. But uh, with the benefit of hindsight, there's so many beautiful things. Did I just say beautiful? I think I said uh, it like Tony Blackburn. I think yeah. you did, yes. There's so many beautiful things in this film. There's a lot of, he frames each shot. You, you basically look at the entire room as if you're <coughs> staring out oh, of an undergrowth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, even the, the, the opening shot where he's tilling the field. Yeah, yeah. And the eyeball pops out of the soil. It gets right down in the dirt. And, and he talks about getting the camera close up to these like, moments of horror. Yeah. Which is like the kind of thing that Michael Reeves did. Michael Reeves got loads of plaudits for it. And he's, he was uh, retrospectively loved for it. It's Whereas a really was good career move, dying young. Really is. good. Haggard did something very similar to this movie. There was some really innovative cinematography, some beautiful shots, beautiful use of landscape, a better example of folk horror. And yet, who's Pierce Haggard today? Yeah, exactly. It's Daisy Haggard's dad. Exactly. You know, that's fame. Fickle. It's the kind of oddly beautiful girl from those two episodes of Psychoville. Mm. I mean, I say oddly beautiful. That's a lot of adverts. Very good voice of an uh, artist. She's very versatile. Yeah, that's what voice that is. That's, like I said, she's very versatile. Well, yeah. <laughs> and so are you. Uh, well, you know it. 
Um, yeah, I think of the three. It's the, although it, you know, to to talk, to coin a, 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 a phrase that people are using in completely the wrong context. Coin it, John. Coin it. Uh, it is problematic, Joe. Uh, well, it's um, of its time. The um, Wendy Pabry rape scene, uh, which apparently was just it was Tony Tensor's idea. Tony Tensor was the executive producer. Tony Tensor. Sorry, yeah, Tony can, Tensor. We just, can we just pause for a second and contemplate the name Tony Tensor? Tony Tensor. If ever there was an executive producer on a movie from the 60s, it would be Tony Tensor. Tony Tensor. <laughs> He's the guy who set up Tygon Films, so, you know, of course he is, yeah. you, you owe him a lot. I but, can make things happen for you, kid. Chomp, chomp. <sighs> but he did come out of an exploitation background, and I think they were basically told, more tits, more sex. Yeah, yeah. And they did an impromptu rape scene in this and it's it's, it is, it's actually quite up close again the camera work is quite up close and unpleasant and it's got a certain visceral kind of ugliness to it but to say something's problematic from a specific time is problematic in itself I think yeah. I, th- I think it's being disingenuous it, it, about the mores at the time about, about what was acceptable I think it's possible to enjoy something whilst also appreciating its shortcomings and its failings I absolutely agree um, and it's still a very difficult watch now. That seems, um, I find that seems very prob- problematic. I, I, I find myself fast forwarding through it because yeah. A, I think it's unnecessary and doesn't really need to be in there. B, it's just so horribly ugly. Yeah, and it's Zoe from Doctor Who, for God's sake. It's Zoe, Zoe from Doctor Who. Um, but I should have said it your way. It was more plaintive. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> but, but you gave me time to reflect. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I was. <laughs> There's pause there, yeah. But I mean, generally speaking, I mean, and also we haven't talked about the soundtrack of that film, which I think is one of the greatest it's soundtracks of all time. Wonderful. Do we know who Mark Williams? Mark with a C, like Mark Boland. Um, Mark Williamson, I want to say. But you want to say? I can luckily with for the, with the benefit of modern technology. That's just off the top of my head. I don't know everything, um, but yeah, it's extraordinary. The music on that and just that descending. Um, sound of, 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 of the way the music goes it's just so sinister it's so extra, extraordinary I'm not really talking very well about music there but you get the idea no I do it, it you is, get the idea I'm, I'm impassioned it's, it's like, if you think about it <laughs> that wonderful descending arpeggio yeah it's gorgeous <laughs> and all the way through it it's just got these weird sounds and it's Mark Wilkinson Mark Wilkinson Mark with a C you're quite right John it's a fantastic soundtrack it's beautifully shot it's a, it's a genuinely creepy tale. The best of these tales are set in that kind of turbulent period of English history. Yeah. Because you Brits, um, I'm digressing somewhat. A lot of these movies... Can't pin this shit on me, Joe. A lot of these movies are set in that turbulent time of English history. Yeah. Where the nation turned in on itself and there was like... Um, well, there's been a series of those repercussions. Yeah. There should be... But it's an interesting... There should be some Brexit folk horror films, I think. I think there will be. Yeah, probably will. I think Almost Kill List was like a couple of years too too early. Yeah. I think it would be a fantastic Brexit movie. Is Kill List a folk horror movie? Of course it is, yeah. Definitely. I've, got, I've got a list of folk horror films that I own that I will probably tell you, and you, 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 we can just go, yeah. we can't go through the list, but I'll just go, look, I own these, I think these are folk horror. It's literally exhaustive. And, and, and if anything, <laughs> if, if anything goes reaching out and you go, no, what? you're mad, that's crazy talk. Yeah. Maybe we can discuss that. So I'll do that maybe later on. But my favourite thing about this film uh, I think is the weird is Linda Hayden who's fantastic in it by the way oh yeah um, but the weird ambivalence of it all like when 
Satan turns up at the end, <laughs> hopping up. on one leg because he's yet. Basically, if the story the story of this film is that Satan is growing himself into the world That's right, yes. on the limbs of some children in this village. The children are his petri dishes. So, um, by the end of the film, he's got everything apart from one of the main guys, called Ralph. No, he's missing a leg. Of course he is. So he's in the background. You see him. Yeah. Uh, he looks like he's made of folded leather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bizarre kind of uh, image and, of Satan. And uh, he sort of see him hopping around in the background while Angel Blake, who's his messenger on Earth, who is growing his eyebrows, um, is standing around in the front licking knives and looking a bit mad. And Linda Hayden's great at this. But And then he does this incredible... Um, Give me my skin... Give me my skin. It's uncanny, John. It's like Satan's in the, the room right now. And then Patrick Weimar's character, who hasn't been in it for <laughs> a, about 45 minutes. With wig back on. Yeah. Rocks up. There's a fire. He comes launching at the devil, the actual devil. The devil himself. Um, and gets, like, he's, got, he's fashioned a massive sword, which is also a cross. And just literally <laughs> hoists him in the air with this. <laughs> and the film... <laughs> finishes on this sort of look through the fire to yeah. see this little hole in the fire with his, with his face in it and he's got this look on his face like he's fucking loving this and yeah. you don't know who is actually evil in who's this who's the monster here yeah, who's the monster here and no other uh, is it Satan or the impaler of Satan yeah no other no other <laughs> horror film I yeah. can think of has quite that weird power also the, the shots are staggered like still head yeah, about yeah, like yeah, some yeah. SLR photograph um, but as you say, it's, about, it's also clearly signposted early on that Weimark is a monster in his own right. Mm. A monster. It takes a monster to kill a monster, I suppose. Yeah, um, and that's what you get. You yeah. really, you and you really feel that. To go back to Tony Tenser, yeah, um, he had his own ideas. Obviously, he's that kind of guy. He is. He wanted to call Blood on Satan's Claw, which, as the title is problematic, but he wanted to call it "The Ghouls Are Among Us." That's no. <laughs> It's kind of like a Daily the Mail headline. Are among us. You know, oh, um, mate, what are you thinking? Not good. Also, I, I, I meant to say, uh, you're familiar with uh, the Steve Coogan homage yeah. to folk horror, the um, the, the Witchfinder episode of uh, Doctor Terrible, Slice of Horrible, Tobias Slater, Witch Locator. Mm-hmm. It kind of it kind of riffs on Blood and Satan's Claw, Witchfinder General. Uh, lovely cameo for Warwick Davis there, I think. Playing a character called. Tygon. Is he called Tygon? He's called Tygon. Oh, you know. That's Graham Duff for you. He does his work. Oh, Duff. He does his research. And the opening line is, Tygon, the potatoes, as they roast potatoes, as they're burning a witch. Wow. Beautifully realised. I think that's a terrible series now. I actually quite enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. There's there's like a Mark Mark Guinness plays an inscrutable Chinaman. Yeah. Which is a bit problematic. You couldn't do that now. He turns out to be a giant crab. Yeah, that was literally only 15 years ago. See, we've come a long way, baby. We have. have. It wouldn't happen now. Um, Right, so I guess we should probably think now talking about the, the biggie. The daddy of them all. Are we talking about the W word? We're going to use the W word, yeah. The wicker tree. I'm only kidding. Let's not talk about the Wicked Tree. <laughs> Although I have seen it, I do own it. Um, and I know you do, I've seen it with you. It's sort of amazing. Um, and I don't think it's as bad as people say this. <laughs> okay, John, but I, let me cast your mind back to a few hours whenever you said, let's not watch the Wicker Tree. It is silly. Yeah. But then we watch The Witches, which is also silly. <laughs> this is also silly, the other W word. Um, we're talking, of course, now about the Wicker Man. Oh, yeah. 
What do you want to say about that, Joe? Where to begin? Um, can you remember the first time you saw it? I think I think that's a good place to begin. Can you remember how it affected you the first time you saw it? I can't remember the first time I saw it. I remember watching it. I feel it. like I've always seen it. Yeah, but I remember vividly watching it with friends and thinking it was a kind of spooky 70s cheap period kind of horror yeah. and being totally blown away with how it unfolded. It totally wrong-footed me. It shocked me. And then it made everything that had gone before even more vivid. Some things in their natural states, <laughs> etc. Um, um, but I just remember it staying with me. And then years later, reading some, in a conversation, or maybe reading some article in a magazine about what a pivotal film it was, and suddenly realizing, yes, it fucking is. You know, it, it's there's something about the Wicker Man. Even if you don't know what you're saying, that, that stays with you. Um, yeah, I think it's extraordinary. I also think there's, there's there's a myth that's developed around it as well, which makes it you know. Which it, I think it, is very newsworthy. Well. Nobody thinks that about Blood and Satan's Claw. Yeah, it's become, it's become critic proof. Which I don't like things that are... There is flaws in it. I mean, it is to be criticised. It's not, it's not the cultural apotheosis of, of a kind of cinema. It's a great film. Well, also, you know, nobody's ever seen what was intended to be seen. There are whole bits missing. There's Christopher Lee's paranoid delusions about, you know... They don't, they don't do that to films. I've never known that in yeah. my 80 years or whatever it is <laughs> making films. That they they get rid of the uh, the original edit, um, so there's all this other stuff that creeps around it. But, yeah. but at the centre of that is a sort of extraordinary film, uh, and Anthony Schaefer's I think goal when he he wrote it was to he didn't like horror films, so he wanted to make a horror film that didn't have any horror in it, but it was about the notion of playing games and about the notion of human sacrifice yeah. and just digging back into the old religion. But there was, those are the things. But it has a real ring of authenticity as well. Some of the stuff that you see performed, some of the rituals, mm. whenever you watch them, they're so vivid because they're actually drawn from facts. We, we saw some documentary footage earlier on about some odd uh, customs and practices in kind of parts of, you know, in English villages and the yeah, extremities watched, of England. Yeah, um, Here's to the Health of the Barley Mow, which is like a BFI... Uh, like a clip show of, um, of bloopers of 20th century <laughs> folk dance bloopers pagan bloopers um, and there is some extraordinary stuff in there mm, mm. mad strange mystery play hodgepodges of stuff yeah, and, the, and the hobby horse the fixation on the hobby horse which is all all kind of uh, this is material that, that, that was that the wicker man drew on and yeah. Schaefer and uh, the director Robin Hardy spoken at length the sinister teaser about about how you wanted to be as authentic as possible, and it really has that, and that's what makes it so. I think such a a resonant and powerful film. It is a strange film in the fact that, that a lot of the rituals and stuff that appear on Summer Isle, which is in Scotland, it's also yeah, it's geographically are, ludicrous. Are, yeah, 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 yeah. Are, are, are English, and that none of the leads in the film are Scottish either. Although the only way that that rings true is that it, Lord Summer Isle is a English Victorian philanthropist. He comes from a family. A long line of English Victorian yeah. philanthropists who populated that island. But you've determined. got you've got Edward Woodward who's English. You've got Chris Lee who's English. You've got Dan Chilento who's Australian. You've got uh, uh, Britt Eklund who's a Swede. Yeah. Uh, and you've got Ingrid Pitt who's Polish. Lindsay Kemp. <laughs> Lindsay Kemp. <laughs> I have a fact for you here about Lindsay Kemp. Lindsay Kemp, who played Britt Eklund's father, was in fact only four years older than her. What? I know it's mad. My you would God. think of the look at them. It's like Wilford Brimley all over again. I have checked it out and it's oh true. Oh my 
God. He was born in 1938, which makes him 35 in yeah. the film. She was born in 1942. I've got to be honest, Lindsay must have had a tough paper round. Mm. He did not look 35. I'm so sad that you said that because, you know, that's I hate that when people say that. But he's 10 years younger than me in that film. Ooh. That's... He looks like my dad. Slightly, slightly paler, to be fair. Ooh. But, you know, I, I keep treading on landmines, John. That's Help true. me. But then again, he is the same age as Graham. Graham, if you're listening. So when you put Ante... He's not listening. He's, no, not, he's not listening to the, since the first one. No. Um, when you put Ante context, he looks fine. Although Graham will add a laughing emoticon whenever we post this on social media. Will he? Like he's enjoyed it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see if he enjoys this. Would have heard a note, a decibel yeah, of this. Yeah, I had my birthday just this week, Joe. And, yeah, that's uh, birthday, John. Email, thanks. And, and Graham emailed me to say, uh, what, you're you're 48? Lol. I can't believe you're <laughs> 10 years older than me. And I'm like, Graham, I've always been 10 years yeah, old. Yeah. That's how it works. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He would not let it go. It was like a dog with a bone. Time is 10 years uh-huh. older than me. You're still 10 years older than me, I, John? Yeah. What I, gives? I keep doing it. Graham, if you're listening, which you're not listening, um, you're still 10 years younger than John. I'm going to carry this on. Until I die, I will always be 10. Even then, I'll still be 10 years older than you. John, is a, John, John maintains a vendetta. He as, will as you're will. carrying my coffin, <laughs> I'll be in there 10 years older than you. He won't carry my coffin. He won't. So the Wicker Man, John, would you say it is the... <laughs> is, that what you, is that your question? So the Wicker Man, John, would you... <laughs> yeah or no yeah or no <laughs> come on mate I've seen you look at this big winner uh, wicker yeah. buttocks well, apparently lots of goats weed on uh, him when he was in the I heard that and also put out the fire I should imagine yeah yeah um, so just because of goat weed I am in I would <laughs> I would the goat weed was I'm, the I'm in it for the goat weed the goat weed was the kind of seal the deal um, what were you going to ask what's the proper question um, w- would you agree now in the cold light of day that The Wicker Man is the definitive folk horror movie sort of yeah because no one cares be... about the other stuff do they you know that's the big daddy that's the one with the festival named after it that's the one that people go and look at the remains of it that's the one that's ba- basically that's the one that the League of Gentlemen got their hands and claws into and they completely riffed on that for and, half a career but I think the League of Gentlemen are the ones who started the whole uh, uh, folk horror revival anyway I think they're the architects of this. Are they the reasons that uh, people of, of kind of taste and... Uh, discernment. Discernment in, in our community gather together to enjoy folk horror? I think, they're the, I think they are the ultimate source of this. And something like the, the BFI has, a, excuse my vernacular, a hard-on for folk horror at the minute? Mm. Well, it is interesting. And also, it, it, it's, it sort of comes out of a, a very fixed period of time. So you think you can talk about it in, in, in a very... Uh, definitive way yeah, because it sort of didn't really it was like the late 60s and then into the mid 70s and it goes away there's a certain nostalgia but actually that's not true there's a long strain of other things that come off it yeah Um, and they don't all come you can have Australian folk horror you can have lots of uh, different things tell me one Australian folk horror I can't wait to hear this Um, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock Picnic at Hanging Rock would be one. one Long Weekend I don't think I know that one it's brilliant it's like a, a couple of total arseholes go off in, into the uh, outback for a weekend to try and fix their ailing marriage and kill loads of animals on the way. And then, oh, then yes, nature yes. takes 
It's terrible revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's brilliant film. Oh my god, amazing. Really brilliant. Film. There is a kind of Australian gothic kind of horror kind of uh, genre. There were, there was other. Films. Well, there's a there's a, a film writer called Everett De Roche. He's one of my favourite film writers. Everett De Roche. He's the Telegraph uh, columnist. He's not actually Australian, <laughs> but he lives there. No, lived there, uh, and he wrote a lot of things that have. Uh, this sort of weirdness to them. So he wrote Harlequin, which isn't a folk horror, but is a strange, strange film. Robert Powell. Isn't Robert Powell. Yes, yes, it's yes. It's basically yes, a retelling yes. of uh, the story of uh, um, Rasputin in a sort of blandly, uh, blandly not quite America, not quite Australia. Land. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and a haunted in, Robert Powell. Yeah, and he's in bondage gear and his, you know, this thing going on with this kid. And Robert Powell in bondage gear. It's that's it's quite strange, but he also wrote Patrick and he wrote Road Games and he wrote a lot of my favourite films, which are you know just he's just great. Um, <laughs> and he's wrote he's written this film called Frog Dreams, which is going to be folk horror, and yet I haven't seen it yet because I've got the DVD for my birthday and I haven't watched it yet. So there is there is a lot of Australian, and also it's because of the nature of the country and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know. Oh my God! It's it's a perfect. It's like um... anywhere that you've got a. There should be more American folk horror because... But I think Australia suits it better. Australia's got this genuinely weird geographical, physiological place. Uh, and it's also, there's this weird settler guilt. I mean, Australia's perfect for folk horror. Yeah. It's wide open spaces. Yeah. It's got uncanny quietness. It's got, you know, it's got uh, this white fear of the primordial aspect of Australia, which ties in a little bit. Like the Peter, Peter Weir, fantastic director. Yeah, yeah. Picnic at Hanging Rock, it might be one of my favourite movies actually. But it is, I think it's genuinely full car. Yeah, no, it, play, it, it plays on white settler fear of the other, which is kind of a kind of full car trope, isn't it? I, I absolutely agree. And I the uncanny happening, something ancient, well, something ancient happening upon mo- supposed modernity. My, my definition of folk horror would have to be basically something like it's it's a fear of, of the countryside, it's a fear yeah. of nature. It's a fear of being away from people yeah. and allowing older, darker, quieter things to yeah, be yeah, 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 yeah. and close in upon you when you are alone in, in, in an environment. And also, you know, this is, this is, this is a relatively recent phenomenon. Um, so we haven't been living in cities for that long in, in, in England. I think 25%, I say in England, obviously in, in Ireland it's a slightly different story obviously yeah yeah. Um, but in England in the early part of the 18th century I think one in 25 people lived in cities and by yeah. the end of that the industrial revolution changed yeah, all of it that changed it completely it was like 75% and, and it's still the same it's yeah. still the same level even in Belfast a lot, a lot of the really urban parts of Belfast like West Belfast those are people if you trace it back two, two generations were country folk you know yeah. who were suddenly urbanised by the influx into the cities um, and with that comes the old you know one of a better description they bring the old ways and put them into the city but they kind of forget it but they never forget that primeval fear you know yeah. that, that kind of sense you know and I think that's what it's about it's about connection or lack of connection well, it's between about, people and it's also about it's about coming from a tradition and knowing well not knowing half knowing a lot of stuff yeah. I think fear comes from a lack of clarity and a lack of really understanding the rules yeah. and having a fuzziness about doing things Superstition comes from not really knowing why you're doing it, but doing it anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's that sort of weird rote. So and knowing if you don't do it, that that's that's unsettling. Maybe yeah. something wrong. That that's breaking the balance of something. You know. That's what folk horror plays yeah. on. It's that bidding um, uh, kill list where 
At a perfectly normal, slightly drunken dinner party, one of the party goes to the bathroom and flips the mirror and scores a strange runic symbol of the mirror. And you know a curse has been laid and you don't know anything about it. It's that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's like bringing this oldness into the new and you know it's always been there. We are we're a tiny footprint on something that's old on a beach that's that's ancient and the, something's going to wash that away. Totally, that it's it's, it's also like um, the complacency mm. of modernity. You, we yeah. think we have everything, and if you and if you if you take that away slightly, suddenly things get scary. Yeah, you know, it's the fear of losing all that we have now. And yeah. I, I think folk horror really tapped the best one. Folk horror is basically punishment for trying to be clever. Like all horror. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Yes, yes. <laughs> all horror is basically punish. Yeah. You think you're smart? Fuck you. You know yeah. nothing. The character in the film that we would relate to the most, person of reason, the bold one, the clever one, the kind of condescending one. He's the one that gets it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> all, all, always. Oh, in every film, it's it's like you know, the brain. The brain, always brainy guy gets it for yeah. being for his terrifying hubris. I mean, I, I even think about my grandmother, who's only two generations away from me. My grandmother. Had was replete with stories of old cures and old, you know, uh, burying burying potatoes in the back of the garden to kind of help with the mar. All these crazy things like that, and she genuinely believed in fairies and banshees. Yeah, but she didn't believe it in the sense that they're literal, and I'll fight you if you said. But she believed in the sense that she heard stories about them, and the noises that she heard growing up as a girl in the country were associated with supernatural things. And it wasn't it wasn't that they believed it blindly, but it wasn't questioned. You know, yeah. it's like there's something about that tree that's special. Don't tamper with that tree. So people just went along with these rituals, and I love that idea that we're not that far removed from those old ways and the earth, as it were. You know, highfalutin city slickers like ourselves. Yeah, and I think that's probably where these things bed in the most because I don't know if you go down to southern England, certain parts of that, I can't imagine there being any of that. I can't imagine anyone is removed by two generations from some sort of arable existence. Like in Hackney, for example? Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm not even thinking of Hackney. I'm thinking of places... Or Camden. Like, yeah. like down, 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 you know, where I grew up. Hampshire? Uh, no, Hampshire's is full of countryside. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, like, on the coasts and... Of course, you know, places like yeah. Essex and stuff like that. But, again, all these places have a long history of of uh, folk but they but it's a weird thing so it's a reverse um, it's a reverse immigration like the industrial revolution dragged people from the country into the city and then it became affluent and they moved back into the country but the people who were in the city don't have any of that stuff they don't it's not it's been it's been 200 years knocked out of them yeah Um, and the people in Basingstoke again were you know like it's like it's like an overspilled town so there's a, it's this big concrete worm cast. Sorry, people from Basingstoke. Um, <laughs> in love the, your in work. the middle of this extraordinary countryside. It's gorgeous. Yeah, there. yeah. Um, and it's not their tradition. It's not where they're from. They don't... I mean, some people do. Yeah. But the majority of the people living in Basingstoke wouldn't give a shit about folk cover, probably, because it doesn't speak to them. No, it's no, not no. for them. No, it's not. It's not. It's um, not. So there is a certain fondness and a certain clingingness to this notion of magic and mystery and darkness yeah and something you know more and also I think in these current times where you know ostensibly we have we, we live with a certain kind of modern luxury and, and lots of kind of things at our disposal there's a certain fearfulness about 
the future. We live in uncertain times. Yeah. We're in our end. Fuck. I know. Um, so, it, do, okay, do you, do you have another fact, by the way? I've got hundreds, yeah. Okay, good. I think we should drop one more fact, maybe. <clears throat> um, okay, I've got another fact. It's a John, have you got another fact? Yeah, I've got another fact. <laughs> um, it's a Wicker Man fact. Uh, in 1989, screenwriter Anthony Schaefer wrote a 30-page treatment for a sequel to The Wicker Man called The Loathsome Lampton Worm. It I love that title. There's more. Okay. There's more. It would have been. It would have begun immediately after The Wicker Man and saw Sergeant Howie being rescued by police from the mainland and culminated in Howie fighting a fire-breathing dragon before plunging to his death from a cliff Attached to two eagles. <laughs> Sorry, are you sure this is fact? Yep. Robin Hardy, the director of The Wicker Man, said, I know Tony did write that, but I don't think anyone particularly liked it or it would have been made. <laughs> <laughs> Wow! Wonderfully diplomatic, Robin. That's, that's, I'm sorry, Anthony Schaffer is a proper playwright. Like he's, he has proper chops. Yeah. Yeah, but if you describe the plot of anything in its bare bones, like it can sound ridiculous. No, but John, the whole point of the Man is there's a finale at the end. It's like, or it's almost like a, it's the end of a cycle. I know. Nature has reached its conclusion. Oh, the so sun it's, is. It's 20 years after the first yeah. film. What are they going to look so, like? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So suddenly, cut to Edward Woodward struggling out the back. Scottish mainland cops coming home with him. Put out that wicker man. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it just, but it just kills the magic of the first film. It really does. It what would was he thinking? I think he probably had something really clever. But he, he fell down with two eagles. I hope it was Don Henley and uh, Glenn. Oh, um... oh dear. <laughs> I can't remember his name. Either. Glenn. The, the, the guy did the hit his own. Yeah. What's his name? Glenn. Ponder? <laughs> Glen Ponder. Yeah. <laughs> um, Glenn Henley? So, yeah, I think that The Wicker Man is the daddy of all folk horror films, and we should probably move on from it because it's boring. I've seen it 400 times. And yet, I showed it to my son over Christmas. I took great pleasure. I was so excited. He'd never seen it before. Right. He's 19. Yeah. So, we sat down uh, over Christmas, and I turned the lights down. I went, Eli, prepare to have your socks knocked off. That's because that's why I speak to my son. But he's a modern man. He probably wasn't wearing socks. And also, I sound like I'm from the fifties, so yeah. to give him more kind of, uh, you know. So he buttoned your cardigan and loaded your pipe. But he sat and watched it, and he loved it. He was. I like to think that I've passed on that to another generation. That's a really depressing ending to that story. I thought he was going to say, "No, I'm free of the tyranny of this nonsense." But yeah. he just loved it, yeah. like everyone else does. Uh, this th- th- this kind of horror riff on kind of traditional kind of. Uh, British folk customs bores me. Yeah, didn't bore him. But it didn't bore him at all. No, no. no he liked it because it's, it's got. You can't. You can't argue with that ending. No, you don't think. You think all the way through. Well, no, cops on the mainland are going to come. Yeah, um, and he'll meet his death eventually. With well, that's it. That's eagles. it. You see, even when he finds Rowan, you think, okay, something bad's going to happen, but it won't be that. Yeah, you know, they'll they'll, they'll come undone, but it's actually a betrayal. It's an absolute betrayal. The bit where um, Christopher Lee says, masterfully. You came of your, your a virgin who comes of his own accord. It's like, oh my god, you've totally got him, you know. It's it is like time for your appointment yeah. with the wicker man. Burn Woodward, burn. <laughs> <laughs> Which was the alternative title for the for the film. I it should have been, yeah. I believe Schaffer was interested in that. So, John, in summation, in some nation. So, yeah, I used to think it was some nation too. All right. Um, 
Do I have to? I thought I'd summed that up quite well already. I think you have, have actually. Have we done it? Yeah. But folk horror in general, do we still love folk horror? Are we in love with it? Oh, hang on. Are we just summing up the entire podcast? Or okay, no, no, okay, okay. What are we doing? Okay, well, no, we, we, we can carry on. We so I've got on. a poem, I've got, we've got a film we didn't discuss. Okay, John, let's do the poem. Okay. <laughs> Should we do the song? Yeah. Seems kind of foolish now. Um, all right. One, two, three. John's, John's Poetry Corner, me lovely. Do it like Scott Walker. Go John's on. Poetry Corner. Come on, Jackie Chan, so yeah. Okay, so this week's, <laughs> uh, this this episode's poem is by a poet called Bob Beagree. Yeah. It's a poem called Scales. And it goes something about like this. The girl from the islands gave me a strip of cured fish skin, slightly larger than my palm. Crispy and translucent when held to the light, like a page from Poseidon's Bible, a patch from a mermaid's cape. It's made, she said, from the kind of fish legged men can only catch through the winter by breaking the Baltic ice and lowering a line into the depths through a hole. All through summer, they lie at the bottom, cold and still, like the hands of the drowned. So there we go, that's the end of that poem. That's actually brief, bleak and beautiful. There you go. That's Jack and Akinori, man, you've hit the the poetic nail on the poetry head. That's amazing. Bob B. Green is a poet, playwright, and senior lecturer in creative writing at Teesside University. So he's doing very well. Turns out Bob believes you can teach people to be good writers. Well, he taught himself. I don't know if you can teach other people. Bob, I doff my uh, mummer's hat to you. There you go. Well, that was nice. That was, that was a beautiful poem. Yeah, and I think it answered the brief. So uh, it totally, and, it fully, and, it, and it was a brief. It fully met the brief, yeah. yeah. Well done, Bob. Um, he doesn't need our patronising praise, does he? He's doing very well for himself. Well, he's got a... He's but got, he's got a new fan in Jonah Wax. He has a chair in Teesside Polytechnic, so yeah. I mean, who, who might have taken away that from him? Okay, so we put it off for long enough, Joe. Um, let's talk about The Witches. Okay. Which is the film let's we just watched. Dive over both feet. Yeah, let's go. 1966, yep. directed by some guy. Who uh, <laughs> we still don't remember. Is Cyril Frank? Cyril Lucknow. Based on a film called, uh, a novel called The Devil's Own by Nora Luffs, who also wrote Jassy. She wrote a lot of things. She's quite big. Uh, a lot of fans on Goodreads. Um, stars, uh, <laughs> so well, you know he's we, we all have. Yeah. Uh, stars Joan Fontaine, uh, Alec McCown, Kay Walsh, Ingrid Bolting, or Ingrid Brett, as she yeah. was here, and Martin Stevens. Um, and I don't know, what do you think? Well, I've seen it before. Um, <laughs> when do you start? Yeah, but this watching it this time, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. It's 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 very silly. It starts. I'll tell you where it starts. It starts with a slightly problematically racist African tabloid. We just agreed to stop calling things problematic. I just love. I just say they're racist. It's the p word. Yeah. Oh, fuck them. The people used to be Protestant, now it's problematic. Yeah, it's problematic. Yeah. It's racist. It's out and out racist. It's balls out of the bath but, racist. I mean, things were racist then. Patrick from EastEnders uh, plays a kind of terrified native 
who sees the bad juju and runs out a window. But basically, it starts with Joan Fontaine experiencing uh, being on the, the wrong end of African black arts. Yeah. Um, and then, then it cuts to the modern day, and then it cuts to a lovely English village, a beautifully shot English village. Yeah. It must be said. Had to be. I believe it's good. In Buckinghamshire. Yeah. And we went through its, its list of famous alumni, and they're all like members of the aristocracy. And, and Cardigans. The, and the rugby player. Lord Cardigan lived there. It's not actually called Hadaby. That's the Hadaby is what it's called in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Buckinghamshire uh, village is uh, unbelievably photogenic. It's beautiful. It's oh beautiful. Oh my god! It's a silly film. The acting's not great, but it looks nice. Um, uh, well, I don't know. The, the acting isn't great. Um, and but it's a weird film because it's Nigel Neal. Um, it is and, Nigel Neal. And you expect him to. Bit, to put together some sort of weird because he's got obviously massive amounts of pedigree oh, yeah. the stone tape did quite, uh, quite a mass in the pit I, but um, I, I, I love the way Nigel Neal always I've noticed in this film as well he always tries to find a rational explanation for the supernatural he tries to apply science to the supernatural you're saying he, he tries to preternatural it up yeah but in the stone tapes he's, he talks uh, these are actual physical echoes this is this happens so yeah. he, he tries to, to de- demystify the mystical, which doesn't really work in this well, day and age. But I think you're being slightly disingenuous there because he's always placing these words in the mouths of people who are trying to rationalise the stuff. So, in the Stone Tape, they're all scientists. Eddie and the boys would be interested. Eddie and the boys! Always trying to find ways of, of describing things that yeah. they can't understand. In this, it's, uh, it's, a, it's another person trying to describe stuff. And putting it into terms that you yeah. might understand. But the main villain in the end tries to apply science to the mystical, you know, to the supernatural, to the witchcraft. So like, sure, these simpletons play along with the rituals, but I know there's real power here. It's like touching, it's like touching an atomic explosion, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. A, and so on and so forth. That's a very Neilian, but that's an expression. Yeah, thing. it is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I really like this film. It is silly, uh, and there are strange things in it, but I think it's it's quietly effective it has a real menace going all the way through it's not menace it's a sense of real strange unease yeah you have an unreliable main character she's already had in the first scene she's having a breakdown later on in the film she has another nervous breakdown yeah and she's actually institutionalized yeah. <laughs> by Leonard Rossiter uh, yeah and she spends the entire film you know with the sort of Maggie Thatcher sort of uh, plume of hair slash young American stupid boy I mean it's solid yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, solid yeah. I mean it's a crash helmet of hair um, and just leaning slumped against walls and looking mildly yeah. pissed and wandering into rooms um, and you know so we're looking sort of at this through the prism of how she's relating to the world so it's got sort of repulsion equality yeah to yeah it does way. it does actually and yeah. then you meet people like and uh, she, she, she is kind of like a an aged Catherine Deneuve, in a sense. Yeah. In the in the in the in the, in the movie, you know, I kind of. Well, ta- I don't think she. Home counties, Ca- home counties, Catherine Deneuve, <laughs> you know. Um, and then yeah, because then you meet grotesques in the yeah. village like Duncan Lamont's Bob Curd. My Bob Curd, the, the mighty Bob guys. If you haven't seen this film, watch it for Bob Curd. Bob Curd alone. What did you call him? A hearty monster. He's a hearty. He's a monster. leering, jolly, uh, meat chopping, kind Brawny. of uh, horrific. Kind of caricature of a he creature. He seems like a man with no internal life at all who just laugh, goes around being disgraceful and disgusting and laughing at all of his stuff. He is a highlight, to be fair. He is amazing. <laughs> um, 
but you know so there is an unease and there's a stuff about dolls and there's uh you know there's a story that we're not being told the stuff that's elusive and she isn't really quite on it enough to get it and there's perverse bits like um Anna McCowan's character pretending to be a priest. That's bizarre, but it's, it, that's never, and he's the good guy. Yeah, but that's <laughs> but that's never properly addressed. It's just accepted. He he he's a he he really wants to be a priest, therefore he's wearing it. And the the main female protagonist yeah. says, "Well, it's a, it's it's quite harmless, really." And that's it. Yeah. So he, he he's allowed to carry on throughout the film without having to explain properly why he pretends to be a priest then <laughs> again. Yeah, he takes her out to a ruined church and goes, "I tried to join the priesthood." But I failed. And then in the final reel... How do you fail? I know, but then, <laughs> so he's slightly, he's slightly kind of demented, weird, uh, deranged. And then as soon as the sister dies, he becomes a delightful, laughing, cheerful, helpful man about the house. Well, you know, spoiler, we should probably say there. If you haven't seen this movie, you probably know who the baddie is now. Uh, or do you guys? Or do, no, you do. You just said. Um, granny two-shoes. Granny two-shoes. Um, but I, I, I sort of love this film for its oddness its peculiarity it's it's not a typical hammer film the last maybe 25 minutes they up the ante quite considerably if i think that's fair to say if by ante you mean the the high priestess of the village yeah uh appearing with with like birthday candles on a tiara <laughs> uh, speaking shouting in and pointing in in pig latin and all the members of the village turning up in ragged clothes and rolling around on the floor and it's eating like, shit. It's like they've all been in experimental theatre kind it of workshops. It's, 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 it's like the living theatre come to come to Peterbrook comes to town. <laughs> <laughs> that it's for, a village hall. Those latter scenes are memorable, and I'm glad they've been committed to camera because they're bonkers. They are, and they're totally at odds with the rest of the kind of quite gen- the gentility, the sinister gentility of the rest of the film. And they sort of they sort of hide the the fact that there is a there is a consistency all the way through the film the ending does work yeah, yeah, yeah. but you don't really notice the ending because everybody's rolling around playing bones and eating shit and, and eating and eating poo <laughs> and there are great lines like there's a the fantastic line a skin yeah grow me a, grow me a gown with golden down cut me a robe from toe to lobe give me a skin for dancing in that last line is just that's so sinister oh my god give me a skin for dancing in is it sounds like an, a proper incantation yeah hey I'm not a witch or a warlock John but if I was I would be definitely using that kind of language well, you know it's Nigel Mills so it might be um, yeah I, you used a brilliant expression earlier uh, for when they um, feed each other what looks a lot like poo. Like poo, yes. Yeah, you called it a brown communion. It did look like. That's exactly what it looks like. Um, I really like this film. I think it's really good. Um, it is silly. Yeah. But it's it sort of straddles that divide. It's it's silly, but it's also quite sinister. Yeah. It doesn't work, but it sort of really works on some levels as well. Yeah. yeah. It's beautifully filmed, and it's quite badly filmed. It, it really is a seesaw. Well, there's some terrible thing. reaction shots in it. There's some very Ooh. bad acting. Ooh. And yet there's, there's some really good acting. Uh, I think overall it hangs together. I, I think, it, it, as, as I said, it's more enjoyable than I was expecting it to be. Yeah. And there's, there's parts of it that are genuinely amazing. And the, literally, the improv workshop witchcraft at the end is brilliant. <laughs> With the kind of Burundi drumming. Yeah. There's this kind of adamant kind of vibe going on throughout the... Which we'd the, actually seen. I mean, we, we were watching... Uh, real um, 
sort of folk stuff earlier in the day. And they do have the tom-toms out. And they are dressed as pirates. Oh, my God. That, and there is a Burundi beat. That, that finishing cornwall, there was a real yeah. kind of persistent kind of rolling beat. Yeah. The, Multiple when, drummers. When they were doing hoss, hoss, wee yeah. hoss, it was like a, not, it was like a Morrissey wet dream because yeah. everyone yeah, had totally. huge quits and cable knit sweaters. But also the band looked like the Polecats. They were like banging away on, on tom drums. It they did. Boz Burr and Coat. It's like the glitter band. Yeah. The yeah. ants. Meets Alan White and Bob <laughs> yeah. Bora. Pagan Cor- Cornwallian village uh, practices. I've got a I've got a fun fact. Can't wait to hear this, John. You know, it's about Nigel Neal. Uh, this is a quote from Nigel Neal. He says, It, meaning Doctor Who, sounded a terrible idea, and I still think it was. The fact that it's lasted a long time and has a steady audience doesn't mean much. So it was Crossroads. <laughs> And that's a stinker. <laughs> You've gone off what, it now, haven't you? What a bitch! Is that because he, he never got a Doctor Who writing gig? Um, no, I think he just genuinely thought it was rubbish. Really? No, he thought it was like, hey, he, he said later on that um, he thought it was, it was trying to do ter- horror things for too young an audience, that he had kids that age and he didn't want them to watch it. And then I think... Are you shitting me? Have you seen some of his outputs? Yeah, but he's that's for adults. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Also, he watched The Demons. And he basically went, well, I've watched Doctor Who and it was just basically one of my stories. Which, I think he has a point yeah, on that one. The Image of the Fandals also a total yeah, Nigel exactly. Who story. Um, right, so that's folk horror comprehensive. We haven't really talked about any of the films. We've done the big three and we haven't done anything else. I think, I think it's better to focus on the... The important ones. I think yeah. you, you can get bogged down. I have a really, really good fact, though. Go on. Which doesn't relate to anything. Do you remember the TV programme, The Owl Service? I do. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is folk horror, definitely. It's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's about, again, uh, city folk arriving yeah. uh, in, a, in a Welsh village and, and being forced by some sort of power beyond themselves to re-enact. Yeah. A story. Not, not, not unlike the stone. Uh, not unlike the children of the children stones. Yeah. Similar, very similar yeah. thing. Um, it's written by Alan Garner, who also wrote Red Shift and uh, the Weird Stone of Brisingerman. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, so he's a proper uh, folk horror icon. Um, at Manchester Grammar School, the Owl Service and Red Shift author Alan Garner excelled at sprinting. And would often run with mathematician Alan Turing. Of course he would. Who, according to Wikipedia, shared his fascination with the Disney film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Oh my God. That's that, my favourite fact of might, the day. That might be the greatest fact of all the stalemates facts. <laughs> that might be the fact that Trump <laughs> all facts, John. And Snow White. It's got everything it's that got fact. Everything you need. Everything you need. Okay. All right. John, so I think in, in summation... <laughs> I was going to do my big list of folk horror films on. I own, but it's no point really, is there? People know what folk horror is. We know you have a massive canon. I've got a big canon. Uh, literally, it's shelf after shelf. People. I know. It's, I, the powder monkeys are through the roof, I tell you. There was, there was debate as to whether we should play Shouts or... Was it Theme from a Village or... Uh, Requiem for Requiem for a Village which is amazing Pendus Fan yeah, yeah. Children of the Stones as mentioned <coughs> your list goes on and on and on I could go on and on 
I've got Wicker Man, Blood and Satan's Claw, Crown of the Banshee, Valerie and Her Week of Wonders, Kill List, A Field in England, Whistle and I'll Come to You, Bender's Fan, A Warning to the Curious, Robin Redbreast, Red Shift, The Owl Service, The Stone Tape, Moraine, The Spirit of Dark and Lonely Water, The League of Gentlemen, Shout, uh, Phenomena, Excalibur, Wakewood, Puffball, Frog Dreaming, Ghost Stories, The Innocents, Requiem for a Village, Halloween 3, uh, The Company of Wolves, Quater Mass, Conclusion, The Demons, Hot Fuzz, the Amazing Mrs. Blunt, Mr. Blunden, Psychomania, Photographing Fairies, An American Werewolf in London, Wurzel Gummidge, and Hereditary. All of them folk horror. It was always burning since the world's been turning. <laughs> uh, I wasn't quite as fluid as I wanted to be there. But it was still impressive. Yeah, was still That's impressive. quite yeah. a list. It's And they're all folk horror. I will put, go to my grave saying that American Werewolf in London and Wurzel Gummidge are folk horror films. They are. They Definitely are. are. They're exactly. As we've described it, they are perfectly folk horror. I think we pretty much nailed folk horror. That's all your, that's, that's all your folk horror needs right there. Yeah. Fuck you. If you want more folk horror, phone, phone your solicitor. Phone, yeah. your, phone your politician. Um, they won't be. They, they, they don't be care. All, all I will say is, guys, thanks for listening. And uh, we don't like strangers in these parts. <laughs> Goodbye, John. Bye, John. Okay. Yeah, that was dreadful. We're terrible at this. <laughs> Let's never do this again. Let's yeah. never listen to it again. We've got to do the Irish next.